As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Very spooky. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. It's the second regular episode of Two Girls, One Ghost in 2021. Well, it's the first regular episode of 2021, right? No, we already had one. No. Wait, what day is it? I don't know. Where am I? Who am I? This is our second episode of the year, but first regular because the last episode was Encounters. Okay, okay. I just, you know what? I don't but even to know be what day fair, it is anymore. 2021 has felt like a year already. It's been it's a, so long. I don't know what's happening. And also so fast to the point where I'm like, well, is it about to be 2022? <laughs> like, it's so I also saw, oh my gosh, my therapist says, which is one of my favorite accounts on Instagram mm-hmm. posted. Someone else must have tweeted it, but they reposted a picture and it was like, okay, uh, I've done my seven day trial of 2021 and I like to get my money back. Or or I'd like to cancel my subscription or something like that. I'd like to cancel. Yes. I so feel that. Yeah. But here we are. Here we are. We're in it. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina. And I have a show recommendation for you because it is so delightful. It's Ted Lasso, which is Jason Sudeikis. (laughs) Oh. Leia likes Whoa, it too. That was scary. Hi, Leia. Leia came from behind you and then jumped up on the chair that you're on. So it looked like she was about to jump and perch on top of your head. I got scared for you for a moment. Doesn't she kind of look like my evil parrot? Like she sits on my shoulder. <laughs> she does. Large bodied, but yes. Yeah, she is. She's a big girl. But Ted Lasso. Okay. So it's so funny because basically there was a commercial done with Jason Sudeikis about I think American football in in England or something like that. And mm-hmm. they created this whole character where Jason Sudeikis played this guy, Ted Lasso, who was an American football coach who thought he was going to coach football in Europe, but ends up it's like European football or English football. Oh. So it's soccer. And they developed this character into a show from a commercial. No way. And it's so delightful. And it's the same concept like this guy goes to, but he knows he's going to coach soccer. It's just like him and his assistant coach and the like soccer players who all hate him and call him a wanker because he has no idea what he's doing. And like football is very different than football. Like stop. But it's just so delightful. And every character is just, they get so deep into every character and they're all so lovable, even though they like up front kind of seem hard and kind of 
you know, mean or like some of them do, but they all have just like really deep character stories. And it's such a delight to watch right now. What What is it on? What streaming service? Apple TV. Apple TV. Next follow up question. <laughs> How many episodes are in the first season? I've only seen four, but I think it's let's see. I think it's six. Okay, perfect. Because I'm at a point in my life where I can't commit to a season unless it's like 12 and under. Oh, it's 10 episodes. So easy. Okay, wonderful. It meets meets the requirement. It's so good. So good. And they're 30 minutes each. Oh, okay. So doable. Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's up your alley. You know, Jason Sudeikis, you talking about Jason Sudeikis reminded me of just another Bill Hader, SNL. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Barry? Oh my God. Love Barry. I know I'm late to the game because we're waiting on season three. Obsessed. So good. Obsessed with Barry. Yeah. I had no idea that it existed and was that amazing. It's so good. <sighs> so good. Yeah, you are a little late to that game, but I'm re- super late to the party. My brother had watched it and then my dad goes, oh, what's that show out there that's about, you know, this uh, hitman and he's actually <laughs> an actor. And for some reason, I'd like... I feel like I'd never heard about the show, but for some reason, my brain was like, Barry? Because it just sounded like the title that would work with it. And he's like, yes! So then I started watching it. And it's just, it's gold. Yeah. And everybody's so great at acting. And half the cast is also in The Good Place. And it just felt mm-hmm. felt right. Did you know Janet from The Good Place is actually, or was Bill Hader's nanny or something like that? Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. And then he cast her. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, but she's the best Janet. I know. She's this is great. amazing. I yeah. love stories like this. Me too. You know, where like someone's just the electrician on set and then someone else is like, hey, you ever acted before? Can you say this line? And then suddenly it's their Tom Hanks. I don't think that was actually Tom Hanks's uh, backstory, but stuff like that is amazing. Yeah. I was like, huh, that's news to me. No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Tom. <laughs> I just feel like lately with, I don't know, maybe it's just, I'm losing my mind a little bit. I think we all are, but I have just been watching so much reality TV and then just like 30 minute comedies or dramedies because that's all I can really sustain Mm -hmm. at this time. She says, as she writes for a hour long drama that comes out or came out, I guess this week because it comes out tomorrow. We're recording on Monday. I will say every single time I get ads for Prodigal Son. Thank you <laughs> for saying the right show. Yeah. You looked at me, you're like, is that right? Because I always screw up because I've just committed your past writing <laughs> stints to heart. And now they just live in here. But the every single time the commercial comes on, I look up because it's so captivating. And I'm like, oh my God, what show is that? And then it's like Prodigal Son. And I'm like, ah! Sabrina show. It's Sabrina show. That's how I know it. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. It's back officially. It started on January 12th. So if you're listening to this, episode one is already out, which is very exciting. Why don't I talk about it more? This is like free press for us. Yeah, you should. And also just the fact that you're a writer in Hollywood is literally the coolest thing I've ever heard in my (laughs) whole life. And you're a celebrity. You're famous. Wait, okay. The thing that is really exciting is that so when you're a staff writer, you don't get paid to write your scripts, but you do write scripts. So like last season, I wrote I wrote one episode and co-wrote a second episode, but you don't get paid for it. But then when you're a story editor, which I am now this season, which is like the next title bump, you do get paid. And at the end of every episode, you get a, like a credit card on screen. <gasps> That's awesome. So as the episode ends, it will say... First, it goes story editor Wyatt Kane, and then it will say story editor Sabrina Deanna Roga. And I have my own page, and I'm so excited. You need to screen record these. You need to like take videos of every single time, <laughs> like the last two minutes of every episode, and then just have a little compilation of when you're. Except for it looks the exact same. I know, but I still like it. I like the idea. <laughs> 
It's like when people, when actors have, what are those called when they, they piece together like clips of their, they have a reel, they have an acting reel. So just a reel with my name on a black screen that looks the exact same over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And then you're like, I promise these are different episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually the higher you get and like the more title bumps you get, you get on like, you know, the beginning where it says like executive producer, co-EP, whatever it says, like the name there. In wow. the beginning of the episode. What a dream. But Maybe one day you'll act in an episode too. I don't think I have any desire to do that. <laughs> oh my God. My dad, we, I can't even remember when this was. Oh, we were FaceTiming my dad, I think over the holiday holidays and we were like all drinking together. And Nick asked my dad, like, so what did you think about Sabrina's, you know, pursuit to be an actress? And my dad kind of did this like long pause where he wanted to like be, where I could tell he was trying to say well, she was terrible without being mean. And he was like, well, let me say this. So she wasn't, well, we didn't think it would ever go very far, but, um, oh, no. but I will say the one thing that we always, you know, thought was gonna do her well is that she never gave up and she kept persisting and oh. kept going and kept doing it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the first I've heard of that. Like, I didn't think I was that bad. No, you weren't bad, but also you did have a love of writing ever since day one. Like I did. When you and I were in our uh, theater in classes. In acting. But <laughs> at, at our university. You would write monologues and I would do your monologues that you, you wrote. So I feel like That's that was true. always a really big focus too, even when in like intro to acting classes. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. if it makes you feel better, you were definitely a better actress than I was. I don't know that that's true. Corinne, you like had gigs. You got gigs. The only things I ever booked were things that I didn't care at all going into the interview. It's when I cared, I was horrible. And when I (laughs) didn't care, I was okay. (laughs) Which is not good because then when you book the job, you care. And then I became horrible. Oh, Uh, Not good. Well, you know, we found new paths in our lives. Yes, we have different passions. This is performance. Yep. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. So this episode is exciting. This is a big one. Yeah, it is. And it was a topic picked by one of our Patreon donors, one of the mamas of our BEK, Chelsea. And the topic is stigmata. 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 I'm assuming, Sabrina, that you also had to Google what stigmata meant. I did know what it was. You did? Because I'm a good Catholic girl. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm not. (laughs) I lie. I haven't gone to church in years. Don't worry. (laughs) I did get married in a church, so I guess that's different. There you go. All right. Well, for for anyone else who's curious, I, I have a little... 
uh, two paragraphs I wrote on what stigmata is so that we can... Me too. I'll chime in. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Please share anything that I miss, Sabrina. Perfect. Okay. Stigmata within Christianity is when pain or scars or wounds appear on someone's body that corresponds with the wounds that Jesus Christ received as crucifixion. So if you picture all of the the statues and crucifixions that you see in paintings or in churches of Jesus hanging on the cross. He has nails in his hands, in his feet and wrist area, in his forehead and, and the crown around his forehead region is has a, a thorn crown. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of blood. There's a lot of injuries. And so often with stigmata, this means that these injuries that appear on people, either scars or injuries or pain, are in these exact same areas. So in your hands, wrists, feet, the center of the forehead, around the forehead region. And the wounds themselves are stigmata. And then the person who has them is referred to as the stigmatist. Yeah, stigmatist Mm -hmm. or a stigmatic. Yep. So stigmata is primarily associated with Roman Catholicism And the first record of this was back in 1224, when St. Francis Assisi received stigmata. And similar to possession cases, there are plenty of people who doubt this phenomena is real. Mm -hmm. There's also a good amount of cases out there that have been debunked as either fake or that the person is, you know, suffering from physical or or mental illness, not related to religion in any way. Yeah, there's some that have like come out and I mean, granted, there's lots that have not been proven as hoaxes, but there have been some that like on their deathbed, they'll confess to saying, you know, I actually did this to myself, which is scary. There's some research that other people, if you're interested, you can you can research, but there are some associations with stigmatic cases and like anorexia nervosa or Mm -hmm. self-mutilation and other things that you know, hopefully those people received treatment, but if gone undetected and just assumed to be stigmata, those people suffered for, I think, a good majority of their lives, which is very unfortunate. Right. Um. Yeah. So, Serena, do you have anything to note? Well, okay. Fun fact that I saw when I was researching it is that 80% mm-hmm. of stigmatic or stigmata cases are women who are afflicted with this pain, which I thought was interesting. And also in addition to the pain and like the markings on the hands, wrists, feet, and head, a lot of stigmatics come with um, like a feeling of bliss and the wounds tend to have a pleasant odor, which has been called the odor of sanctity, which is a saintly smell. And sometimes accompanying these wounds are visions and lucid dreams or messages being sent to them from higher powers. So it's kind of like all-encompassing, it's this very religious or viewed as a very religious, saintly gift to be given because Mm -hmm. it's so rare and it feels like the higher powers have given this to the person. And some of the people that have received this are considered saints and are Mm -hmm. worshipped by those practicing that religion. Yeah. And there's so many cases, so many. Like That's the one thing I didn't realize because I had heard of St. Francis Assisi having been a stigmatic, but I -hmm. I didn't know. Like I Googled, I was like, stigmatic cases. And it was so many. There were tons. It was hard to choose from. It really is. And honestly, I feel like so many times when we think back to, I feel like when I'm just talking about religion or certain things like this, that just seems so kind of foreign to, to me personally, I always think that, you know, it's something that happened way back when, like centuries in the past, decades in the past. But it's amazing how many people are alive today 
who are stigmatics. Yeah. Like it's yeah. currently happening. First case that we know of, 1224. But still, today, people are experiencing these markings on their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who did you pick? So I chose someone who is alive today because I just thought it would be really cool to not talk about someone who you know, was born in the 1200s, mm-hmm. but uh, someone who currently today is 49 years old. Whoa. So a young man, his name is Slatko Sudats and his birthday is January 24th. So actually next Sunday, one week after this episode comes out, he's going to turn 50. Woo, happy happy birthday. birthday. This is for you. <laughs> this is for you. I wrote that he's part of Gen X and he's a Capricorn. He's just a modern day guy, you know? Oh, thank you for giving us the full picture. Yeah, just in case anyone wanted his dating profile, that's it. <laughs> so Sudats, he was born in Croatia and he served in the army when he was younger. And then in 1993... As you and I, as the ghost girls were making their way through the vaginal canals, canals into the earth, we came. And also, he was quite busy that year as well, <laughs> because he decided, Sudats decided to pursue priesthood. And he went on to study to become a Roman Catholic priest in Croatia. And then five years from then, he was ordained and he started working as a priest. And everything was going great. He was super busy. Everything seemed to be exactly as it should be. And then one year into his priesthood, something happened. It was April 7th, 1999, and Sudats noticed a mark. There was a mark on his forehead. It wasn't a blotch. It was a mark. It was clear, sharp lines, and the image was recognizable. The image was a cross. Ooh. And as soon as this happened, his bishop was like, eek, maybe this should be a little concerning. Maybe we should send you to get some help here. I don't know what's going on out of my abilities here. I'm going to send you off to Rome. And so Sudats left under the recommendation of the bishop, spent 40 days in a clinic in Rome, the Gemelli Clinic, where he was closely monitored and tested. And the investigation lasted those whole 40 days. And if you've listened to previous episodes on our podcast on exorcisms and whatnot, you'll know that Roman Catholics and a lot of people within the Christian faith often turn to Rome and the Vatican and and people higher up to kind of pursue these investigations. And typically the investigations are super, super thorough and the church tries to disprove things pretty aggressively at times. And this is also one of those cases. So it involved medical professionals from the Vatican and they were looking at him for 40 days, trying to figure out what could have caused these marks if he d- did them to himself, if there was some medical explanation. But ultimately, they could not conclude that the mark was of divine origin. They had no clue how it got there. And it had just suddenly appeared one day. Because doesn't it, I think I saw this. It kind of looks like a tattoo almost, but it's like a faded, like almost grayish looking thing. Yeah, it's like the pictures are hard and oftentimes he'll he'll put like paint or something over to mm. make it clearer. But it's it's almost like wrinkles, like like really harsh kind of indentations. Oh, you know you know like how Fifty Cent has a really clear brow bone. I feel like it's that, but the forehead but version the forehead? of a cross. Whoa, it just sort of happened, and it's very distinct. So Sudats, he was examined by doctors at the clinic. He underwent numerous tests and procedures. There was just absolutely no medical reason for this dark mark of a cross that suddenly just appeared in the middle of his forehead. And then also he was, they tested him for psychologically as well. And he was of sound mind. Nothing was physically wrong with him that they could tell. And so they sent Sudats back to Croatia. Hmm. And beyond this mark, 
having appeared in his 40-day stint in Rome. Sudats seemed to, to be pretty normal. Everything seemed to go back as normal as it usually did when he went back to Croatia. He, I mean, he looked a little bit strange because he had this mark, but otherwise, <laughs> Sudats, he was the same guy. He was just a guy with an odd birthmark, apparently. But then a year again after his return, more markings appeared on his body. Clear stigmata markings. And this raised a lot of questions. First, the cross on his forehead. And then on October 4th, 2000, identical wounds on his feet, wrists, and side to depict the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And these wounds bled. So they were weeping wounds, real injuries, versus the first sign that he had one year prior, which was just a marking on his forehead. Right. And what's also super interesting is that on this day, October 4th, that is the same day as the Feast of St. Francis Assisi, the first known stigmatist from way back in 1224. Pretty Whoa. crazy that it happened on the same day. Whoa. What if he is St. Francis of Assisi reincarnated? Reincarnated. Oh, Sabrina. I don't know. opened a whole new window of possibilities here. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. I mean, he could be. We don't know. Yeah. Something was happening. Some things were aligned. It's like that show you recommended, Dark, where it's all these certain <sighs> timelines that are connected Love. to one another. I wish I could go back and rewatch that from the beginning. <laughs> okay. So now Sudats, he's got all these new markings. And this time he did change. Maybe not personality wise, but his abilities changed. He was now a mystic. He could read people's souls. He could levitate. He'd have visions of the future. He could bi-locate. So he said he would be in two places at once. And he also had the odor of sanctity, which you mentioned, which Mm -hmm. is when a specific scent emanates from the bodies of saints, especially from the wounds of stigmata. So, whoa, there's a lot happening here and a lot more than a typical stigmatic person. But Sudats remained a devout Catholic and he never showed off his stigmata to the masses. And he really urged people to worship God over him and and sometimes got upset when people misdirected their worship to him rather than to God. But you got to be kind of curious about what life was like for him. Yeah. Because now he's essentially the super popular guy. And not only does he draw huge crowds whenever he practices, crowds that line up for days when he's holding mass. But also his physical and conscious being have changed. He's different. Like a lot has changed for him in just a short period of two years of practicing. So you'd think, you know, that he might be a little, I I think I'd be a little wonky if that that (laughs) happens. But he said that his wounds don't usually bother him. They cause very little pain. And he said it only starts to bother him when he's praying, when he's deep in prayer. And that's when he, it's not necessarily pain, but he said he can feel it pulsing. And then on first Fridays, the wounds sometimes open up and they bleed. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Okay. We got to remember that because there's connections with my story here. Okay. Okay. Open up, bleed, first Fridays, wounds. Remembering. Got it. (laughs) Remembering. (laughs) Sudats also said that bilocating feels like when you're at one place, but that your heart and imagination want to be somewhere else. So I was imagining that a little bit like daydreaming. Maybe because he said you just kind of like feel like you're in two places at once, like your heart belongs somewhere else, but your physical body is present, like physically somewhere. But he didn't actually believe that he was truly bilocating. He just thought that he he just kind of like felt the presence, his presence in two places. But then oh. other people began reporting seeing him. So they essentially confirmed that he's projecting. Yes, he's actual projecting. They confirmed that his presence was somewhere else when his 
physical body was in a different place. Whoa. And this is just the first of many oddities within Sudat's case that also remind me so much of a spiritual awakening rather than, you know, traditional Catholic experience when you think about it, Mm -hmm. or at least how I grew up and was raised and confirmed within the Catholic church, but I'm also no expert. (laughs) Sudatsa said to actually not be speaking for himself. So when he has these, uh, when he holds mass and he's talking to everybody in the church or wherever he's hosting mass, he's actually in such a deep meditative state that allows him to communicate with God and Jesus and other saints and allows others to speak through him. So doesn't it kind of sound a little bit, I mean, it's, he's a medium. And then also it reminds me a bit of automatic writing too, of like getting out this new word. So much of this, I feel like is like a medium who is just connected with more religious characters or, or spirits, I guess. 100%. And I also, when it comes to stigmata, I also, I'm curious about the brain's ability to inflict injury on its own body. You know, like there are all those studies of people convincing themselves they have a bruise and a bruise will appear. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about that sort of study and if anyone can, in a lab, try to replicate the same sort of wounds. Yeah. Well, in, in reading about stigmata, a lot of the kind of hypotheses about what it is was kind of what you're saying, which is like, is it a form of hysteria where you like believe something so much that you create these bruises, you mm-hmm. convince your brain to create these bruises Or also they were talking about these people who have such deep empathy for Jesus and his crucifixion and what he went through and like the ailments and pains he went through to suffer for us that they experience it themselves. Because, you know, like empathy, you feel feelings of Mm -hmm. others that they can Mm -hmm. feel the pain themselves. Yeah. A religious empath. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I've definitely, I mean, not felt it in a religious way, but felt it before, you know, when you just like, people always say like, oh, a mother's intuition, when you just know something's wrong, when you know someone went through a breakup or something's really bad or Mm -hmm. someone's sick, because you can just feel it in your own body. Yeah. Or you have like dreams about someone that you're, and then you, you know, you're worried about Uh them and it's real. Yes. Crazy how energy in the world works. Right. But Sudats, he's still practicing here and there to this day. I don't believe he belongs to any one particular region and he just kind of travels and holds mass when he can. But but my last two lines that I wrote was, many believe in stigmata and of Sudats as the modern stigmatic recipient. But the true case and reason behind Sudats seemingly otherworldly abilities remains a mystery <laughs> a mystery that's very like unsolved cases of you yeah like cold cold case voiceover like uh, yeah it's just like the either the beginning or the very end just over like a black card <laughs> yes <laughs> and you're like oh my gosh what happened <laughs> it's so fascinating and, and really I, i'll be curious to talk about it too after i tell you my story too because there's so many similarities and it's just it really does remind me of a psychic medium, someone who's, you know, almost trance-like receiving messages from a different power. I know. It just, anything like this reminds me so much of the book. I've said it a thousand times, but down a dark hall, it so reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like embodying something that you don't necessarily have control over and comes from history. Like someone, a historical figure suddenly takes over your your present day self right. and controls sort of your direction in life. Yeah. And I think also just with religion and with Sudat's, you know, life mission of being a priest and devoting himself to his religion, I feel like it speaks to that where he just like opened himself up 
And he's like committed himself so deeply and strongly that now there's this added layer of just like, I'm going to give my body to the, to Jesus and to God to use me as a vessel to give their messages to the world, which I think is like, I mean, that's commitment. (laughs) That's big commitment. I can't say that I'd be as calm as the majority of people in these cases when seeing these wounds. Right. I think I'd lose my cool and possibly lose faith because I don't know if I'd be as empathetic towards bearing the wounds of my savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I think I might be like, holy crap, I faint when I see blood. Why is this (laughs) happening to me? Why did they pick me? (laughs) Well, I will also say you and I are not the most devout (laughs) Christians. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think that's probably why you would not like it. But, but I imagine, I mean, all the stories that I did read and, and your guy and my lady, are are both very, very devout Catholics and like prayed every Mm -hmm. day. And I think to them, it was a gift. And I'm sure sometimes not the best. They were worthy of bearing the wounds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is why you and I will never be saints. (laughs) What? Is this news to you? Is this a surprise? to me. (laughs) Sorry to break it. myself? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. All right. I'm excited for what you've picked because during my research, this person's name came up a few times and I tried to quickly scroll past so I would still be surprised. <laughs> but scrolling past, there were some lengthy articles. So I'm like, yes. what is going on here? Let me just preface this to say that the woman I chose has been heavily studied and documented. And there is an author, Valerio Martinelli, who has written the book Natuza of Paravati, and it's a 10-volume bibliography. So just to preface, I am not going to be able to cover... Oh my God, 10 volumes? 10 volumes worth of content and experiences and cases... That's insane. ...about Fortunata Natuza Evolo, because that is just so, so, so many. But um, just know that if you do want to learn more and you want to know more about her, there are 10 volumes for you to read, so... This is just a amuse-bouche, if you may. Amuse-bouche. Okay, so the stigmatis I chose to talk about is Fortunata Natuza Ivolo. So Fortunata, nicknamed Natuza, was born in Calabria in Italy on August 23rd, 1924, during the reign of Mussolini amidst World War II. And finding work was really hard during this time, so a few months before Natuza was born, her father actually emigrated to Argentina to find work and his plan was to settle down, find a job and then send for his family, but they never heard from him again. So Natusa was born to a fatherless family and unfortunately left kind of stuck in poverty. Her family struggled a lot and the Evolo kids were known around town due to their scandalous parentage and they were often begging and kind of, you know, they had a really rough go at life. And Natusa even though she was, you know, a young child by the age of six had decided that she wasn't going to school and was going to play her part in helping take care of her siblings and of her mother. So she never went to school. Therefore, she never learned to read or write. So she she was illiterate. And that is an important thing to note because later some things happen. Natuza was a very serene child and she did her best to stay out of trouble and she just wanted to take care of people. And she understood the strife that her family was in and under And her mother gave her advice and said, pray to Virgin Mary and she will save us and guide us. So young little Natusa did just that. 
and she would sit in the darkness of her home and repeat the prayers that she'd heard her mother whispering at night. And she'd pray to the Virgin Mary, asking for relief and asking for peace and for safety and and protection of her family. And her devotion did not go unnoticed by the holy powers that be, because at just six years old, Natuza began seeing Jesus, the Virgin Mary, angels, and saints. They would come to her in her dreams. They would come to her in her daily life. They would give her messages and reassure her that she would be safe. And she confided in her mother about it. And she was like, I'm, I'm seeing these people. They're speaking to me. And her mom brought her to her pastor, who was in awe of Natuza, but warned her to keep this information and this gift to herself because he didn't know how it would be received in society. And there was also one account. And so this is the thing that there was one account where she went to a local priest who apparently sent her and committed her to an asylum where she spent a few months after this. So I don't totally know what the real, real, real was, because this is back in uh, 1924 or around that time. Basically, Natuza was recommended, whether by a pastor nicely or because she was put into an asylum, to keep her gifts to herself. And so that's what she did. Mm. But apparently at her first Holy Communion, her mouth reportedly filled with blood when the wafer symbolizing the body of Christ was placed in her mouth. And at her confirmation, a large stain of blood in the form of a cross formed on the back of her shirt. So that was like in front of people. Right. And also she's such a young child too. So the ability for her to fabricate anything like that in such an elaborate public way, number one, would seem impossible And number two, she must have been so scared. I I I would have been scared that young, not really understanding exactly what all of the meaning is behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I don't know. The reports that I read were not from her perspective, although I do think she did write or participate in some documentary or something uh, to tell her story. But it does sound like all of these messages that she was being given were very comforting, probably during this time. So I'm sure, yes, it must have been confusing. But it sounds like the spirits mm-hmm. were very like, there's a purpose for this. There's a greater purpose and we'll keep you safe. So I hope she wasn't terrified. Yes, true. In 1934, so when Natuza was just 10 years old, her mother was arrested and the landlord kicked Natuza and her siblings out of their home, leaving them to fend for themselves on the streets. And Natuza prayed to the Virgin Mary and asked her to keep her and her siblings safe. And a voice called to her, telling her, Courage, I will find you a place to live. And a few days later, Natuza and her family found a living space in a communal dwelling. Then, at age 14 in 1938, Natuza was hired as a maid by a lawyer, Silvio Coloca, and it was there that her abilities were recognized for the first time by others and witnessed by others in a very like, because I mean, she had had these, these occurrences at the church and her, you know, her first communion Mm -hmm. and her confirmation, but I feel like they were kind of written off or explained away or hidden enough that it wasn't very public. But this was the first time that other people were seeing it. And then it started to spread around society and people were hearing about it. So the first incident was when Mrs. Coloca and Natuza were walking in the countryside And Mrs. Coloca noticed blood coming from one of Natuza's feet. A few doctors came to examine her and they documented a significant perspiration of blood in the upper region of her right foot, which was caused by some unknown source. So they couldn't figure out what what was happening to her, but there was blood coming from her foot, kind of in the same place where the nail was in Jesus's foot. And this was the incident that began what would become a lifetime of mystical phenomenon, including the stigmata the wounds of Jesus on her hands, feet, side, and shoulder, along with bloody sweats. And she used to have numerous visions of Jesus, Mary, and the saints, 
along with countless visions of the dead, primarily souls in purgatory, and many reported instances of bilocation, which is very similar to your story. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get, when I was doing research, I didn't find a ton of instances of bilocation, but there were a few stories like hearing of, you know, she would be attending to people at her home, but then someone would see her elsewhere in the world. But it wasn't, I don't think, that, I don't think that's like what she was mostly known for. Uh, at 16 years old, Natuza experienced hemography, which is basically sweating blood from various parts of her body. And then when a handkerchief or a bandage was placed over it and it came off, it would produce writings and symbols. So like, which is so bizarre to me, but basically, and there's so many instances and so many pieces of evidence basically from her homography. So like if I started bleeding from my hand and I put a handkerchief on it, it would come off in a, in a cross or there would be actual letters written on Literally it. never heard of that before. Yeah. I'll have to send you a few pictures because there are some saved handkerchiefs. There are saved handkerchiefs and evidence of homography oh done by blood on Natuza's body. These symbols were always of Christian descent and Natuza never knew when this would occur, but it would happen at random and often. And over her, I don't know, I think she was 84 when she died. 85, her 85 years of life, she, you know, people would come to her and try to ask her to do homography for them and, you know, like give them messages specifically, but she never could do it on command. It kind of just happened at random, but sometimes it did happen for someone passing by almost, you know, like getting a message and she would start getting bloody sweats and she would do that. And then it was like a message for someone without knowing that it was a message for them. Psychic medium. Yeah, exactly. Over the course of close to 70 years, there's believed to be well over a thousand homographies, but there's no exact figure known. 70 years over a thousand. That's crazy. That's so many. And also, I feel like the fact that that she couldn't do it on command, it just makes it seem more, it just makes me believe in it almost Mm -hmm. more. Like there's no, there's less of a chance of trickery when there's no profit to come of it. Right. Well, also... I'm glad you said that because she also never took money or accepted money for anything that she ended up doing. And and I'll tell you a little bit more in a minute, but like the, also the other like shocking thing is that she was illiterate. So she never learned how to read or write. So these homographies would be produced and there were words on them, like correctly, perfectly spelt words on these handkerchiefs from her blood. So it wasn't like, oh, she was, you know, writing them earlier or, you know, writing them in the moment and like sneaking it and giving it to the person. It was... Which how do you even sneak congealed blood in the shape I don't of know. letters? Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's tough. In 1944, Natuza married a local carpenter who she had five children with, and he was very supportive of her and her gift. And in years to come, they opened their doors to people who were seeking help and guidance. So... It was said that a few hundred people waited to see her every single day and they would come by the busload from all over the country, all over the world, seeking help to speak with her and to speak with saints through her. And she never accepted money for what she did. And she never really was accused of participating in anything fraudulent. So no one really accused her of lying, which I think is kind of amazing that everyone just so openly accepted her and and believed her. She mm-hmm. was considered a healer. She was credited with being able to look at a person and tell them what was ailing them physically. And then she would use like correct medical terminology. And like, keep in mind, she's illiterate. She didn't study any of this, but she would just be able to know what was happening to them because the spirits were speaking to her and she would suggest treatments 
And she could also apparently see the future. And she sometimes spoke in languages that she didn't know. Also, some of her blood stains were even transformed into phrases in foreign languages. So she would bleed, put it on a handkerchief, and like a foreign phrase would be written on it and could be translated correctly. What? Yeah. My God. Remind me of when she lived again. What century was this? So she was born in 1924 and then she died in 2009. Oh my God. Oh, wow. I cannot see when you hear all these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, how to be like, you know, the 1600s, 1700s, because it just feels so foreign. It feels right. like it couldn't happen right now. Like I couldn't meet someone who experiences this. But you could. But she, yeah, she was alive when we were alive. Mm hmm. Or we are alive still. <laughs> well, one day when they read, when someone listens to this, we'll be dead. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's high praise for us. I don't know that anyone will be listening. <laughs> no, I was literally just thinking, I turned my head to the side and I was like, do we really think our podcast is going to be somewhere accessible at that point? <laughs> no. Uh, this will be the old cassette tapes. Yes. So Natuza was most famous for the appearance of stigmata, and she was ravaged by the markings every Friday, every Friday, every Friday, and also through the entirety of Lent. So unfortunately for her, not like you're the person you spoke about, and I'm so sorry, I just don't know how to say his name, so I'm avoiding it. But Natuza dealt with a lot of pain when she received these markings, and it got so painful that she would lock herself away because... The pain was just so horrific. She couldn't be with anyone. She couldn't see visitors who were coming to seek her guidance or the saint's guidance. She had to lock herself in a room and she would just like scream and writhe in pain because it was so terrible, which like, you know, makes me think that she was truly experiencing the pain that Jesus did in his crucifixion, which is just awful. Awful to ever experience and then awful to experience every Friday. You said it was every single Friday. Every Friday and then the entirety of Lent. My gosh. Yeah. Maybe, you know, not to not to be sexist here, but maybe this is why there are more women that have these markings because women bear the pain of childbirth and some really intense physical pains. So maybe right. our bodies, I don't I don't know the details of of our uh, anatomy and, and do are we able to handle pain better someone tell me or maybe god is a woman we don't know ariana grande said so and i believe everything she says so that's true there we go so an example of someone witnessing the miracles and gifts of natuza is a story that took place on the second friday of lent in 1972 a woman named maria montelli saw natuza and her husband walking into church but Maria noticed that Natuza appeared to look ill and she was walking kind of funny and she was wearing this headscarf around her head and she just looked sick. So Maria offered to help Natuza into the church. And so they settled her into a seat and Maria sat beside her. And when she sat down, she noticed that Natuza's face was like beaded with blood as if she was sweating blood. And she offered Natuza a handkerchief. And so Natuza wiped her face with it. And when she removed it from her face, she saw hemographic drawings form on it. And later that evening after mass, Natuza's wrist began to exhibit stigmata and Maria handed her another handkerchief and Natuza folded it multiple times to clot it. And then she held it there for like 20 minutes and she handed the handkerchief back to Maria. And when Maria unfolded it, there was more hemography on it. And there was a name of a prayer at the top and a crown of thorns and 12 figures representing mankind. There were men, women, children, priests, in front of Christ, who was holding his arms open. And on the left, this there was... This blows my mind. I know. And they're all like very small, intricate little like drawings too. On the left, there was a figure of Our Lady watching them. And just closer, you could distinguish a saint. And 
There was like a figure of Christ and there were just so many images on it. And this is just one of thousands that have been recovered and evidenced in the 10 volumes of this book, I'm sure. And again, like, I don't know how many times I have to iterate this, but like she, she was illiterate. She didn't know how to read or write. So like these were truly miracles that were happening in front of people's eyes, strangers. And, and, um, and also Natuza apparently couldn't always decipher the hemographic writing. So which reminds me of what Conchetta Bertoldi told us and about how like, you know, she get messages from the from spirits, but she doesn't always necessarily know what they mean. And it's kind of up to the person who's receiving it to interpret it correctly. And there mm-hmm. was one story and I, I didn't write this one down, but basically a woman came to Natuza for help and Natuza, I don't know, in, in like the process of it, like she started bleeding and she got the hemographic writings from a handkerchief and there was this name of a saint that Natuza had never heard of. And she said, like, do you know what this means or do you know who this is? And that woman had been told to pray to that saint like months ago by like a random priest or something. And so for Natuza to reiterate it was kind of, you know, miraculous. And then this woman went home and prayed to the saint over and over and over again. And whatever ailment they went for, like seemed to get better or heal. And they were like met with tons of like beautiful smells and like a voice of a saint, which I don't know. I mean, she, Natuza herself never would have known that that's what, what was going to happen from it. That's so crazy. And also like she lived to be in her eighties. So I'm also picturing, you know, if you look at the majority of 80 year old people are not the most mobile. And so the idea that there could be any sort of trickery at all i i just i so believe her you know like the <laughs> fact that she just sat there with the cloth on her wrist with witnesses like just sitting there in the room yeah. and then handed it back like there was no opportunity for anything to happen and it wasn't her handkerchief like i feel like you can be like oh well she did it beforehand but this woman maria gave her the handkerchief in that moment so it wasn't like she had access to it beforehand i don't know but it she's very magical and in 1987 oh and she was also just like very devoted and a woman of religion and just devoted herself to Jesus and to to God and to Virgin Mary. And so she suffered through the pain to continue being this voice, you know? In 1987, Natuza built a shrine dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, a refuge of sinners, where she planned to live the rest of her life and was to be home for the elderly. She continued her selfless service to those who sought her help. And so many people believed in her miraculous ability. But, of course... As with most paranormal supernatural things, there were skeptics. There was one psychologist who believed that Natuza stigmata was actually Gardner Diamond Syndrome, which is a rare disease characterized by the appearance of unexplained painful bruising. And the reason that the psychologist argued that is because Natuza, while she did exhibit, you know, the the markings of the crucifixion, she also exhibited markings kind of all over her body. And bled mm-hmm. and bruised kind of everywhere. But I don't know, whatever you believe, Natuza died at 85 years old of renal failure on Sunday, November 1st of 2009, which is All Saints Day. So again, a very big moment of her life or death on a very religious day. And she was revered and beloved by thousands and thousands of people, proven by the fact that 30,000 Italians attended her funeral services to pay their respects to this servant of God, which she has been now deemed. And 
they believed in her and and thought that her abilities and, and gifts were given to her by God. I mean, I believe her too, because I just can't get past the handkerchief. I will never <laughs> understand how any other illness could explain numerous, numerous, numerous people having these messages written out from for them or depicted from someone who was illiterate and probably very medically illiterate, as are the majority of people who are not pre-med or doctors in the field. I'm sending you the picture or a picture of a handkerchief. Okay. And keep in mind, this is like done with her blood. Okay. Hopefully I don't faint. I'm sure I'll be fine. It's not gory. Oh, what? It literally looks like if someone took a like magic marker or something and drew on a handkerchief, it's very clear. Yeah. It's not messy whatsoever. They're like very clear symbols. And also the crazy thing is that her blood didn't look like that when it was on her body, you know, especially if she folded a handkerchief up and like pressed it on a wound, you would think it would just be like one round bloody circle, like in multiple places, but it's, it's just like intricate drawings. I'm going to look up all of these now because I'm <laughs> so curious. Yeah. This is wild. I mean, it's definitely something that I, I I have no ability to explain it as anything but magical or mystical and, and spiritual. I do wonder, did she, because she never took profit from any of this. So do you know if she had a job or how did she maintain her? I mean, her husband was a carpenter. It sounds like she made this shrine, which was like probably a nonprofit or something under the church. So maybe she worked for the church. I don't mm, know. Wow. Wild. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at all of the pictures and I'm just blown away. Man, a week ago, I did not know what this topic was. <laughs> I'd never heard of it. And now look at me. Wow. Wild. So crazy. This is one of those topics where I'm just like, I don't know if I'll ever really grasp what's happening here. <laughs> I know. It really is unknown. Yeah. Like people could present certain, I, I guess, ideas behind or, or certain, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Theories. Mm-hmm. People could present certain theories as to what's actually happening or what they believe is actually happening. But I feel, I feel like there's so much room for me to be like, well, I don't know though. Cause then there's also this, like there's just so many layers yeah. to these cases that it feels almost impossible to debunk. Right. And I mean, I think what we've been talking about, just about how similar it is to psychic mediums and that kind of ability, I feel like helps familiarize it a little bit. Whereas just thinking about the like bloody wounds is disorienting in the way that like, you know, a ghostly experience, I feel like it happens to so many of us that we're, you know, we can accept it. But the appearance of crucifixion wounds is so outside of our norm. And I say that being our norm is, is very broad, but yeah, it's, it's not something you see every day or hear every day. And so it's harder to accept, but I think Mm -hmm. thinking of it as psychic mediumship helps me believe it and understand it more. For sure. Wow. What a big topic and a topic that we could absolutely visit again one day. Oh yeah. There's so many stories. I'd love to. That's a plan. That's a plan. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I even fed Leia before this, and she is getting testy. She's really vocal tonight. Mm-hmm. She's just shouting out to all the other cats out there that listen along to the podcast. <laughs> I wish to say that she was that smart, but... All right. I have a story for you. Ooh. It is not necessarily having to do with stigmata, but I just was under the general theme of markings, physical markings. Oh. I found an email to read. It's called The Mimic. Howdy, ghostesses. So excited to be writing you gals. I've only recently begun binging your episodes and I'm obsessed. Thank you so much for what you do. You help keep my life spooky all year round. To start my story, I want to first apologize for how all over the place it's going to sound. Trust me, I already read it. It's not. As you probably know, hauntings never happen in a linear fashion and never on a set schedule. So these are mine and my family's experiences with what I've been calling the dark entity cliche, but true. (laughs) It all started when my mom and I moved in with my ex-stepdad when I was 13. We were all sitting on the couch on a school night watching TV, and from where we were sitting, we could directly see the stairs and the second floor landing. We were watching Ghost Hunters, what a blast from the past, (laughs) and all of a sudden, from the corner of my eye, I see a black shape on the middle landing of the stairs. I gasp, and I look over to see the shape casually travel up the steps to the landing. I say travel because I couldn't see any legs or feet, just a vaguely human shadow. My mom or stepdad didn't believe me, of course, but they just thought I'd projected what we'd seen on TV, so I let it go. Over the course of the next few months, I began to get hand-shaped bruises on my legs and arms and something Mm -hmm. on my stomach. There were scratches too, but I largely dismissed these as me scratching myself in my sleep until my friends started getting similar marks after staying at my house for a sleepover. During a late evening call with my best friend at the time, I heard her scream and a loud crash. And when I asked her what happened, she said that she had just been sitting on her bed and her entire dresser fell over. This was a massive piece of furniture in mint condition, and it had just tipped over as if someone had pushed it from behind, but it was against a wall. Shortly after this, we moved to a different house. And I thought that that would be the end of things. My older brother came to live with us for a while as he was finishing his high school GED and started experiencing things too. One day, he was home alone and he was sitting in the living room when he heard my mom calling him from the dining room. He got up, he went to check what she had needed, and he realized that she wasn't home. Nope. No one was. We'd all gone Christmas shopping at the mall. A couple of weeks later, I had the same experience and he didn't tell me about his until he overheard me telling my mom about mine. And then he suddenly blurts out, what the fuck? And he tells (laughs) me what happened to him. (laughs) It was mimicking my mom's voice to lure us. We continued to have minor spooks here and there, moving shadows, strange noises, and the dogs barking and snarling at thin air, but nothing drastic. Then one day... I was at work stocking shelves at TJ Maxx and I hear this ear-splitting pig scream directly next to me. I spun around and I asked my colleague if they had heard it too, but they said no. So I tried to chalk it up to just being tired. My mom and I moved into our own apartment about a year later. And long story short, my stepdad wasn't a very nice man at all. 
We were given free counseling by the local women's shelter. And during one of our sessions, I told the counselor about the shadow and he told me that it was just my stress manifesting as a hallucination. Frustrated with the dismissal, I decided not to talk to any more adults about it because it was always the same answer, despite others having experienced the same thing around me. Well, my mom couldn't deny it for long. Only a few months after moving into our new apartment, weird things started happening again. The TV would be on in the morning, despite both of us swearing that we turned it off, but it wasn't on a channel, just static, even though we always left it on the same couple channels and there was nothing wrong with our signal. We found the orange juice in random cupboards rather than in the fridge, and pieces of furniture would be placed in entirely wrong places. My mom finally agreed to let me film what was going on, and when we got up in the morning, the entire film of eight hours had been deleted. Gone. We had used this camera for almost a decade with no issues, but maybe it had glitched. Either way, it spooked my mom enough that she finally believed me. (laughs) The final straw happened to me while we were in between apartments. We went to stay with one of her close friends and I took up the guest room while my mom took her daughter's room down the hall. I was sitting in the bed reading a book when I look up and I see myself standing (sighs) by the bed being shoved backward by the same black shape as I'd seen on those stairs Five years earlier. No. I jump up to catch myself before my brain realizes what had just happened. And then I bolt out of the room. Oh my God, I have so much chills, full body chills. And then I bolt out of the room so fast that I cut my hand on the door handle. And that night I slept with my mom and we moved out of there quick. It all died down when I reached out to a local pagan healer in the area and she helped me cleanse myself and my family. I haven't had any trouble since then, and my mom is doing great. Maybe it was all the product of an active imagination of a teenage girl, but my gut tells me that what I saw was real. I think it might have been attracted to the negative energy that seemed to flow off of my stepdad, maybe using that to manifest, but I'm not entirely sure. Either way, I hope you enjoyed my story. Please keep up the great work. Can't wait to hear more spooky tales. See you on the other side. And I'm sorry if I, I butcher the pronunciation of your name right now, but Charlotta. Whoa. Like, what is this? This is something that I've never heard of before. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before. Of like seeing yourself being attacked when you're awake. It's not like you're, you've fallen asleep and you're having this out-of-body experience and you're looking down on yourself laying in bed or what have you. You're seeing another version of you attacked like being attacked by this dark figure in front of you and you're reaching out to catch yourself it feels almost like a time slip yes oh my gosh it really does it's so like maybe in another dimension she she had made contact with this creature or will she in the future which i hope is not the case but i don't know yeah i hope so too i'm glad that they were able to get cleansed and that it's been it's helped right but i feel like you just gotta continue to make sure you're safe and that no doors to this thing don't let your guard down too too much yeah because it clearly followed them from house to house house to house and also mimicked their mom's voice to attract both her and her brother. So mm-hmm. the other thing too, that that makes me think that perhaps when she saw herself falling, when she saw herself getting pushed, was it actually her or was it just another manipulation that this dark figure had done to spook her so badly and make her paranoid about the future or about the spaces that she was living in? Interesting. You know, like kind of a warning, like I, if you ever tried to get rid of me or take up a fight with me, you're bound to lose. But of course we know that not to be true because now she's she worked with that pagan healer and she's her and her mom have clearer energy around them right yeah i don't know it's definitely dark and the the fact that it like wounded her in the night 
and her friends too you know it, it's very violent yeah that everyone was having these markings these scratches and bruises the handprints the handprint yeah i don't like that creepy they yeah cleanse. i'm almost glad that the video was deleted because i feel like whatever you would have seen on the video would be so scary that that would be intense trauma yes except for i kind of wanted to see it <laughs> <laughs> Just to the know. difference between you and I. I don't know. I, I, it would be scary, I'm sure, but everything in the house is moving around. It would just be like, why? I just want to know why and by who. I don't know. And whatever this thing is, it clearly has a ton of energy. Okay. My story. So instead of going markings on the body, I went the like religious church route mm. because surprisingly, no one, none of our listeners have experienced stigmata. Unless you have, please email them to us. We want to know. But okay, this is a story from April. It's called, I was almost possessed. Hi ladies, I am stuck in morning commuter traffic, so I decided to submit my story via voice to text. <laughs> I apologize in advance if some of the words and sentences are misspelled because of that. I grew up- Wait a second, this person is speaking a ghost story publicly on their commute into their phone, and I freaking love that. I'm obsessed. I appreciate it. Imagine being the person next to, next to them on the train. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I'd appreciate it. I'd love to sit next to someone like that. Me too. Okay. I grew up in a little town called Watsonville, about 15 minutes south of Santa Cruz, California. I no longer live there, but this is my story. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, my best friend lived around the corner, so we were constantly popping in at each other's houses unannounced. One time when we were on a school break, I was home alone because my parents were at work. And my mom always gave me chores to do during my school breaks to keep me busy as well as to help her out. So one time I was cleaning my mom's room and I heard someone walking around in the living room. I had heard the door open while I was cleaning, which faced the living room. So I definitely wasn't mistaking what I heard. And I just thought it was my best friend. So I said, hey, Erica, I know you're there, but she didn't respond. So I thought she was trying to scare me. So without turning around, I just nonchalantly said, I know you're trying to scare me, but just come in. But I still didn't hear a response. So I turned around and I saw a girl with long brown hair run past my mom's door and she gasped when I saw her. I stood there frozen for what felt like forever because I was too afraid to move. By the time I mustered up the courage to move, I grabbed our wireless phone. It was the late 90s, early 2000s and ran out onto the front porch and called my best friend to tell her what happened. After this, I started seeing this girl more frequently and I started hearing voices in my house. I thought that I was losing my mind. I couldn't function and I was getting severely depressed and I chalked it up to having a dysfunctional home life. I'm the eldest of five children. We were very poor and I had a lot of parental responsibility put on my shoulders at a very young age. So it would make sense that I would have spells of depression and anxiety. It was getting really bad to the point where even in the dead of winter, I would sit on my front porch crying, just waiting for my mom to come home from work because I was too afraid to be in the house alone. One time, after having spent the night at my best friend's house, whose family were avid churchgoers, I tagged along with them, as I had done from time to time in the past. But this time, for some reason, we brought one of my little sisters with us, who was about two years old at the time. After about 20 minutes in church, someone came and got me and told me that my sister was being fussy. I went over with them to help. After about five minutes, my best friend's dad came over to me and told me that the pastor wanted to speak to me. I thought I was in trouble or that I had somehow done something disrespectful because church was still in session. And I walked through the doors and was slowly walking between the pews while everyone silently stared at me. I was so scared and my heart was pounding through my chest. 
I was only in the seventh grade and I had no idea what I had done wrong. As I approached the front of the church, the pastor then told me that he sensed that there was an evil presence attached to me and that it was trying to make its way inside of me. I was so scared and I didn't understand what was happening to me. Then the entire church put their hands on me and began praying. A couple of women even began speaking in tongues. And after they were done praying, the pastor gave me some blessed liquid, which I think may have been some type of juice that they used as the blood of Jesus. I'm not sure. But he told me that when I got home, I was to dab it on all sides of my front door. And he gave me a very specific prayer to say while I was doing it. I don't remember what the prayer was, but after I did that, I never saw the girl again and I never heard the voices or sounds again. I do have to say that I've never gone back to that church because that was a weird ass experience and I'm now 32 (laughs) years old. And sometimes I feel like that evil presence has never entirely left me as myself and my family have continuously encountered multiple series of unfortunate events and tragedies, deaths in the family, homes burning down, mental illness, hospitalizing family members, drug abuse, homelessness, the list goes on, but I don't see her anymore. So thanks for hearing my story out. Feel free to reach out if you want to know more. Best April. Okay. That, I mean, that's a terrifying thing to happen to you just to see this little girl, to have this encroaching figure come and terrorize you essentially, or like lurk around you. Mm -hmm. And then to go to a place where, I mean, she did, she did get help, but all eyes turning on her and she has to make her way up the aisle past all the pews. And she's so young. So young. And so uncomfortable, like seventh grade, middle school, like you just... You don't want anyone looking at you. you you're like self-conscious about it. Well, I was, sorry. I'm speaking from my own experience, but like, that's so scary. Yeah. But also very amazing that they were able to, whatever church she was at, they were able to yeah. identify what was happening and, and help her pretty much immediately. I also imagine it like playing out from, if we were to get an email from the pastor, this is how I imagine it happening. Like he was in the middle of mass and he sees this girl get up to go attend to her sister. And like, as she steps up, he gets like a like hit with the evil entity that's like coming off of her. And so when she leaves the room, he stops his entire mass to go help her. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And in addition to that, I was thinking like, what if her, to him, she looked like the little girl that she was seeing in her own home. Ooh. She just her face like flashed real quick. into this entity. Yeah. Ooh. Oh God, that's so creepy. Like the flash of someone else's face on your own. Or that's a good horror else's. movie thing. I, I feel like that's probably been taken, but let's use it in a movie. <laughs> let's use the it. movie that we're going to write. The In our movie? In our movie. <laughs> Two girls, one movie. <laughs> Actually, that's already a movie and we based our name off of it. So. Yes, yes. But yeah, well, different kind of movie. Different kind of movie. Horror in its not own a, well, way. Still kind of horror. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? But not paranormal. And we're going <laughs> to do a paranormal movie. that's the goal oh gosh wow well april i'm very glad that you haven't heard the voices or felt this evil in the way that you did before but i'm sorry that i i I don't know maybe you need another cleanse or because it's very possible it's still lurking in the shadows yeah yeah that's right and i do wonder what that what the blessed liquid was i'm curious yeah to know exactly what it was and if it's you know maybe more accessible to to you to continue using? I'm now just imagining, I know this is so wrong, but when I was a kid, my mom for like Christmas one year got us like a Harry Potter potion making kit and it was supposed to be mm-hmm. edible, but it was like a really thick like juice that kind of has like the most distinct smell and taste that occasionally I'll get a whiff of. And I'm like, Harry Potter potion? And now I'm just imagining <laughs> that like I'm going to be whipping up Harry Potter potion to 
cleanse all the ghosts out of out of everywhere. Well, sometimes I feel like if you believe in it, then it will be, you know, like if you believe in the liquid in your Harry Potter potion, then your Harry Potter potion could be a protector. That's true. Wow. You guys, well, this was such a fun episode. Chelsea, thank you so much for picking it because how fun for us and for you, I guess. Hopefully you liked it. If you have experienced stigmata or if you know someone who has, are you a stigmatic or stigmatist? Please email us with your encounter and your experience uh, to two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we would super appreciate it. Another thing we would appreciate is if you rate and review us on iTunes. We always say that, but honestly, like any podcast, our podcast, any podcast you listen to that you really enjoy, you should rate and review them on iTunes because it does help push everyone up on the charts and makes it more accessible for other people to find and then inevitably just helps everyone because we're better equipped in the end if we're a little more popular to keep producing content. Yes. So that's a good way. And then also word of mouth. It's powerful, our pyramid scheme. So please, (laughs) please continue. Please join it. Uh, You can also join our Facebook group or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And also like with those emails, send photos because our listeners like them. I like them. I'm scared of them, but like them. (laughs) Like them. Send them. Please include a warning maybe in the title or at the beginning of the body of the email. Like don't look Corinne. If I open them, I will scream and cry and tell sabrina she has to do the episode on her own because i can't handle it and you do not want that (laughs) yes you do no and everyone is judging me left and right it's literally just gonna be me talking to leia be like leia you're so cute that's perfect i'd listen you you don't want that no you no you wouldn't (laughs) uh yeah well thank you for listening to this and uh thank you to our editors uh eric and Brooke Foster. You both are wonderful, fabulous humans. Thank you to you and your whole team at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast. And also, if you're wanting to send us snail mail, we do love it. And we have a P.O. box and that address is listed on our website. So if you care to peruse, (laughs) please send it. It is there. And we will see you on the other side. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 